Okay, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke 6. Turn to Luke 6, verse 17. Dr. Richard Mayhew, in his book, The Healing Promise, tells this story. Larry and Alice Parker wanted God's best for their family of six, but their oldest son suffered from diabetes and regularly received insulin injections. When Daniel Bedilla held special services at their Barstow, California church, the Parkers walked the aisle with 11-year-old Wesley. They sincerely sought a healing miracle. The preacher pronounced Wesley healed. Larry joyfully entered, praise God our son is healed until Wesley's insulin log. But Wesley's next insulin test indicated differently. Yet by faith, the Parkers claimed the healing and blamed the unexpected insulin results on Satan. Shortly afterward, Wesley began to suffer the nausea and severe stomach cramps that predictably indicated low insulin. Larry and Alice postponed medical treatment and sought God's continued healing power through prayer. In spite of their sincere faith, Wesley fell into a coma and died three days later. Newsweek magazine reported the tragedy nationally, end quote. Now, how do you think the Parkers felt after their son died? How many people do you think had a desire to go to church or become Christians after reading that Newsweek article? Pretending to have the gift of healing, claiming to have visions and revelations from God, saying you have the gift of tongues... When you do not, is lying, deceptive, and satanic. Many people in conservative, non-charismatic churches today, like this one, kind of have a ho-hum attitude towards the charismatic, Pentecostal, third wave movements. It's kind of like, well, they do that, but we don't, and it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. Whenever you stand up before a church and say, I have the gift of healing, and you don't, you're lying to them. Whenever you say, God told me this, and you tell it to people when he didn't tell you that, you are putting words into the mouth of God. That is a serious issue. That is about as serious of offense, a sin, as you could commit. I believe most... In the charismatic Pentecostal third wave churches, uh, know the Lord. They preach the gospel there. They're saved. And I'm not saying we should be mean to them or, or try to, uh, you know, be nasty. But what they're doing is wrong. It's false. It's deceptive. And it's hurting people. And it's killing people. When you start saying you have the gift of healing, and you don't have it, you're lying. When you claim you have the gift of tongues and you don't have it, or you don't use it in strict accordance with what the Bible says, you're teaching false doctrine. When you say God spoke to you, gave you a vision or dream, and He did not, I'm telling you, that is bad. That is seriously bad. False doctrine, lies, and deceptions always carry with them painful consequences people get hurt or killed or damned to hell because people 
our teaching and deceiving others. Now, as we come to our text this morning, it just so happens that Jesus is going to be healing people, doing miracles, and casting out demons. And we're going to learn some important lessons from Jesus' ministry that we can apply to what we're experiencing today in the church. So if you have your Bible, look at Luke 6, verse 17, as we read verses 17 through 19. Jesus is still early on in his ministry. He's ministering in Galilee. Luke has just described, uh, before we looked at that passage on the apostles, that Jesus had, had proved that he was Lord of the Sabbath by healing a man. Then he gave the list of apostles. We kind of did character sketches on them. And now Luke gives us one more little um, vignette of Jesus' healing ministry before he gets into the Sermon on the Mount. This is what we read in verse 17. Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. And all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. Now from this portion of Luke, I want to make four observations from Jesus' miraculous healing ministry that you can take away and apply to your own life so that you won't be led astray by the religious charlatans of today. Now before we look at the details of the text, I want to give you some general information about healing and miracles, which will kind of give you a, a mindset, a frame of mind, so that when we come to the text, you can better understand it and see how... God did miracles through people in contradistinction to how faith healers do it today. First, you need to know that in rare instances, God has given special gifts to certain people so that they can do miraculous things like heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons and part the Red Sea. These people do not have power in and of themselves to do these things. They are given gifts by God and God gives them the authority to do certain things and he supplies the power by which they do these miracles. And these miracles are supernatural. And what that means is they are beyond natural. You could say they're abnormal. They set aside the laws of physics and science and they do that on purpose. When God wants to put himself and his power on display, he does something supranatural, beyond the natural, so that you go, whoa, that must be of God. Ironically, whenever something supernatural does occur, everybody wants to measure it with scientific instruments, which are only to, only designed to measure things that are natural. And not supernatural. You know, Jesus turned the water into wine. You can say, okay, now it's water, now it's wine. But you can't figure out how it got there. We have no instruments to measure supernatural events. Only the consequences of them. But God performs miracles in order to put himself and his power on display. Now, people often ask me if I believe God still does miracle. And I always answer with a qualified answer. Absolutely, yes. He still does miracles, but he isn't giving people the gift of miracles today. 
He isn't giving people the miraculous sign gifts today. Do you know what God's greatest miracle is today? The greatest miracle that he has always done and regularly so? It's saving people. It's transforming them into the image of Christ. It's taking somebody who's a child of Satan, spiritually dead, blinded, loving their sin, and totally transforming them into a new creature in Christ, regenerating them, adopting them, making them new, washing them, cleansing them, slowly molding them into the image of Christ. That is the great miracle that God is doing today, and we are all witnesses of it. Here we are. Most of us in here are most likely saved, And being saved, we can look back at our life and say, all I know is I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, and now I see. We had people over last night, and we were um, talking about our testimonies, and, and a couple times it came up that people said, yeah, before I would read the Bible, and it just wouldn't make any sense to me. And then after coming to Christ, it just... Started becoming clear. It was just so wonderful. They could just read the Bible. It's just, wow, look at this. Where was this been? Well, when you're spiritually dead and you don't have the Holy Spirit, it just is, it just doesn't make sense. But as soon as you come to know the Lord, it just opens up and it becomes living, the living Word of God, and you're able to understand it. So know that God is still doing miracles and He is saving sinners. And when God saves a sinner, you need to realize that it is a greater miracle than the parting of the Red Sea. The parting of the Red Sea happened for a moment of time. You save somebody, that person becomes a child of God for all eternity and worships God for all eternity as a trophy of one of God's miracles. And so God is doing that. Any Christian can look and see that their life has changed and we all know the stories and maybe no people, maybe are the people who, you know, were drug addicts and wasted and all of a sudden we came to know Christ and just turned from that sin and changed and were transformed. The world has no explanation for that. You know, maybe you were some mean, abusive, selfish husband. You came to know Christ and all of a sudden now you're the kind and selfless sacrificing husband who loves his wife as Christ loved the church. The whole church is full of people who used to be some way and they've all been transformed by God's power. But in addition to that, God still does other kinds of miracles. He heals people. There's cases, documented cases of people who have gone to the doctor and, you know, they've, they've found some tumor in them and the whole church is praying and they go and they cut them open and tumor gone. Well, what happened? Well, they were healed or somebody's really sick and they pray and the doctors have no idea. We have no idea how this happened. It just did. Yeah. God healed somebody, but those cases are very rare. When God isn't healing people don't think that he's lost his power god's power is not diminished because you get sick and die i mean guess what it's coming we're all going to get sick and die unless you know the second coming happens the rapture many claim to have miraculous gifts but when their supposed gifts are compared to the word of god They are weighed in the balances and been found wanting. They say they have this biblical gift, but when you compare their gift to the scriptures, it's not the gift. 
Some people are so desperate to experience a miracle because they're sick or their child is sick or a friend or loved one is sick that they actually are willing to believe a lie and delude themselves just to comfort themselves that maybe it's true. Some people go to one healing crusade after another, giving huge amounts of money, telling other people afterwards, I've been healed, but they go to another crusade because they're not. Other people are just ruined. They're ruined. They hobble up there in their cane or they're pushed up there in their wheelchair and they with their kidney cancer or whatever. And, oh, well, the reason you weren't healed is you don't have enough faith. And they're destroyed. They're destroyed. Others in their desire to maintain their false delusion that miracles are for today tell story after story about, well, I heard of this guy in the bayou and I heard of this guy in New York and I heard of this missionary in Africa and another one in, you know, South America. And they're always telling stories about people in different places, places you aren't. One example of this, a writer wrote, quote, an old Christian woman in one village decided after her 80th birthday to start preaching the gospel. She went to village to village where her daughter lived and began to preach there. Some villagers who had been afflicted with various incurable diseases like cancer came to this woman. When she prayed for them, many were suddenly healed. Then two people more came and asked for healing and she prayed and they were healed. And then three more families. And after this, the woman left and these villagers decided her God was a very good. So they abandoned their idols and decided to believe in this Jesus. And after that, a new church was started. I hear stories all the time in my travels, end quote. And it's true. You go to charismatic churches and they try and outdo each other with stories like this. Oh, yeah. Well, I heard of this guy. I heard of this woman. And you know what? You hear a story like that, and you know God can do it. You know he's got the power. You know he's done stuff like that in the past. And you want people to be saved. You want new churches to get started. You want to believe this with all your heart. Problem is, you've tried to hunt down these people who supposedly have these gifts. You never find them. Hmm. You try to find those people who were supposedly healed and look at their medical records. Oh, they don't have medical records. It's just unverifiable. Or you find them and they say, oh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was somebody I heard about in another province or region or area of the jungle. Go there. So you take the hike and you go to that. Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't me. I was just telling that story in the service. It was somebody else that I heard about back where you were. And you can wear yourself out going to country to country and jungle to jungle and region to region trying to find some proof of a religious myth. You just can't do it. Another question people like to ask is this. Have miracles and sign gifts ceased? They hear you say things like, so you believe they've ceased? And that word cease sounds pretty final, doesn't it? Sounds like God is not doing miracles anymore. But as we have already noted, he is doing miracles. He's just not doing them through people given the gift of miracles today. So is God never again ever going to do this? Well, the answer to that question is no. Um, God is going to give people those gifts. 
You know, you ask yourself, well, could God give so many miraculous gifts? Sure, he can do anything he wants. He's God. Has God's power diminished? No. Will God ever give people miraculous sign gifts again? Absolutely, and the scriptures tell us about it. For instance, in Acts chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, Peter is quoting Joel, who's talking about the last days before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And Joel, in his prophecy, says, you know what? You're going to do signs, you're going to do miracles, your young men are going to have visions, they're going to see dreams, they're going to do all these different things, and people are going to call upon the name of the Lord and they're going to be saved. If you go to Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, you'll learn about two people, often called the two witnesses of the book of Revelation. You remember those guys? What do they do? Well, the text says they are able to call down fire out of heaven, cause famines, turn water into blood, strike the earth with every plague. Does that remind you of anybody? It's kind of like a Moses and Elijah and Elisha on a bad day. They wield the same miraculous powers that those men wielded. And so no, they haven't ceased permanently. They're just not being given right now. But nowhere, even in the book of Revelation, does it say all believers or most believers will have sign gifts. That's never been the case. It's always been a select few in a limited place for a limited time for a limited purpose. The charismatic movement has really confused people about this because you go into a charismatic church and they tell you, well, you know, you need to have a gift and you need to speak in tongues. You need to have a vision. You need to whatever. They make it sound like everyone in the New Testament times had signed gifts and did miracles when the scriptures teach that's just not the case. The reasoning they have is seriously flawed because what they're saying is, well, you know, they did it in the New Testament, so we should be able to do it today. That's like saying Moses parted the sea in the Old Testament, so we should be able to do it today. That's ridiculous. Just because something happened in the past doesn't mean it's normal for every time. Now, when you look at the scriptures you find a very interesting pattern that a lot of people don't take notice of because it's kind of goes all the way through scripture. But I want to tell you about it this morning and this will help you understand why God has done miracles and why they aren't normal for today. Did you know that since creation, the last 6,000 years, there's only been three time periods in the history of, of the world since creation, where God gave people miraculous powers to wield these gifts, these sign gifts. And who was the first person who did miracles on behalf of God? Who is that? Moses. Moses. Moses did a series of miracles which God directed and empowered him to do. He went, led the people out of Egypt. He did miracles in the wilderness, and then Moses died. Moses was one person in one geographical location, and he did miracles for a certain time while revelation was being given. He wrote the first five books of the Bible and probably the book of Job. There was a second time period when God did miracles through people who were gifted to do miracles. Two individuals, Elijah and Elijah, two great prophets. These men did miracles and It was for a certain amount of time in a specific geographical location for a specific purpose 
while revelation was being given. A third time period when a select group of people were given signed gifts in certain geographical location for a certain amount of time for a certain purpose while revelation was being given was Jesus and the apostles. No gifts of miracles until Moses, 900 years later. Elijah and Elijah, 600 years later. Jesus and the apostles. Does that sound like every day, normal, every place gifts? No. We also need to keep in mind that the sign gifts have a purpose, and it's not to entertain believers and keep them healthy. Sign gifts are called sign gifts because they're signs, they're advertisements, they're like miraculous billboards. And they point to something. They point to Jesus or they point to the messenger of Jesus. And they are primarily for unbelievers, not believers. That is antithetical to what you see in churches that claim to have signed gifts today. All these believers congregate and delude themselves. Paul didn't go around the churches he established healing all the believers of their every ache and pain. Instead, he let people suffer and die in his presence. Though he had this gift. He was an apostle. And as you read through the book of Acts, what do you discover? At the beginning of the book of Acts, there's tons of sign gifts. New Testament isn't written. As the New Testament begins to be written, what happens to the sign gifts? The sign gifts taper off... As the New Testament is being completed. By the end of the book of Acts, the miracles are pretty much all ceased. Finally, I want you to consider a couple of texts. The first one is Matthew 24, 24. Turn there. Matthew 24, 24. This is the Olivet Discourse. And Jesus is answering uh, his disciples' questions about what would be the sign of his coming, the signs of his comings in the end of the age. And so he's telling them that. But notice what he says in verse 24 of Matthew 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I've told you in advance. See that? What's going to happen in the last days? False signs and false wonders will be performed by false teachers to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Now turn to 2 Thessalonians 2. It's right after 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians. Let's see here. No, it's not. It's after Colossians. I know it'll start with the C. <laughs> so when you start hearing laughing, you go, uh-oh. You blew it. 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. Paul is talking about the Antichrist, who he calls here the man of lawlessness... And his activity during the tribulation. And notice how he describes his activity and what's going on at that time. Then that lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth. And bring to an end 
by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Now notice some things here. Here's some people at the end of the age, just like Matthew 24, 24 says, who are judged. They are judged because when the truth was proclaimed to them, they would not believe it. And when miracles and signs were done, which were false and not of God, they refused to check the word of God. They did not believe the truth, but instead received these miracles as true. And took pleasure in it. God, knowing they had rejected his word and rejected the gospel, then purposely allows them to be deceived because they will not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And they are damned because of it. That is a serious passage. A serious passage that tells us that as the end of the age grows closer, you can expect signs and wonders and incredible miracles which have every appearance of being true but which are false. And that it is our job to go to the scriptures and compare them to the word of God so that we are not deluded and deceived into believing what is false. So what have we learned so far? One, God still does miracles, but is not giving people sign gifts today. Two, when God is granting sign gifts to people, it's always a limited number of people in a limited time for a limited location during a time when revelation is being given. Three, sign gifts are primarily for unbelievers, not believers all clustered together in a miracle healing contest. 1 Corinthians 14.22, Paul, speaking about the gift of tongues, says, So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Is that what you see today? No, you have a whole bunch of believers getting together going, la, 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 la. It's not a language. It's not a known language that is unknown to the speaker. There's not one or two each in turn with an interpreter. Four, in the last days... The days in which we live, God warns us that false teachers and false Christ will be empowered by Satan to do miracles for the purpose of deceiving people. So even if we witness true, authentic miracles, we must not jump to the conclusion that the people doing those miracles are from God because the Bible tells us not to jump to conclusions, but to examine everything by the truth. And all this brings us to our text this morning where we're going to see four observations from Jesus' healing ministry that'll help us watch out and be warned so that we are not deceived and swept away by the charlatanism going on today. The first thing we learn is Jesus didn't manipulate the crowd. 
Look at verse 17 and 18. They read, Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place. And there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him. Now just stop there. Notice there are two categories of people mentioned here. There's disciples, those who have kind of been following and a great throng of people from Tyre and Sidon. That's from the um, west on the coast and then there's from uh, Jerusalem and Judea which is south of where Jesus is ministering so all these people have come and they're dragging their sick grandmas and taking people on pallets and you know sick people and withered people and crippled people and cancerous people and demon possessed people and just all sorts of they've got all kinds of they're just bringing them to them in mass notice that Jesus wasn't selling tickets Notice there was no staged performance. Notice he wasn't manipulating the crowd. He didn't have an earbud under his hair. And a staff of people doing research on those coming in so that he could get information on them and make it appear like he knew about their background and knew things he shouldn't know. I point this all out because one of the obvious differences between today's so-called faith healers and Jesus and the apostles' ministry is today's faith healers always have a setup, a plan, a stage. You know, you don't see Benny Hinn going into a hospital, starting an ICU and healing everybody all the way down to the morgue. He never does it. It's always very staged. It looks like something you'd see if you were watching the great illusionist David Copperfield. Everything is controlled. People are manipulated. Lesson to learn, beware of so-called faith healers. Especially those who say we're going to heal people, but we're first going to take an offering. (laughs) They always have people on their turf and their environment. They are in total control. When you see that, charlatan, fake, counterfeit, run. When you see or hear something like that, remember that David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear in front of a huge group of people. They saw it disappear with their own eyes. It was gone. And they couldn't explain it. It seemed real. But you know what? It's still there. (laughs) Nothing but an illusion, a trick, a deception. Secondly, Jesus cured all physical diseases. Look at the middle of verse 18. It says that the great throng of people not only came to hear Jesus teach and preach, but look, it says that they also came to be healed of their diseases. So not only do we have a large crowd of people from all over the place, but we have this large crowd of people bringing all these sick people who have all these different kinds of diseases and they're all there to get healed. And we know from the end of verse 19, Jesus was healing them all. If you read the Gospels, you would discover Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law of a fever. He healed lepers, healed paralytics, healed invalids, healed the man with the withered hand. He raised the widow's son and Jairus' daughter from the dead, healed the blind man, the hemorrhaging woman, healed the deaf and dumb, restored Malchus's ear after Peter hacked it off. He healed all kinds of organic diseases. Jesus didn't say, well, today I feel like God is telling me to hear earaches and backaches. 
No, he healed everyone who came regardless of their physical disease. Beware of selective healing gifts. Beware of those who claim they have the gift of healing and they can only heal certain kinds of unverifiable illnesses. When Jesus healed someone, they could be examined and it could be unverified. You remember that in Luke 5.14, after he heals the leper, leper, what does he say? Go and show yourself to who? The priests. And they can verify it. Same thing happens in Luke 17. Jesus healed organic diseases completely and permanently, something faith healers today never do. They can't because they don't have the gift of healing. One medical doctor, William Nolan, spent years researching faith healers, looking for authentic miracles, that is, cured organic diseases. And here's his conclusion, quote, You will find no documented cures by faith healers of gallstones, heart disease, cancer, or any other serious organic disease. Certainly you'll find patients temporarily relieved of their upset stomachs, their chest pains, their breathing problems. You will find healers and believers who will interpret this and interruption of symptom as evidence that the disease is cured. But when you track that patient down and find out what happened later, you always find the cure to have been purely symptomatic and transient. The underlying disease remains, end quote. Dr. Nolan followed up after one crusade, 82 people were supposedly healed at that crusade. Only 23 people would respond to him. And of those 23, they all, all of them said, uh, I'm still sick. Dr. Chuck Smith, not to be confused with Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, but the first dean of the Master's Seminary was paid by a wealthy businessman to travel the country looking for authentic miracles. He went to place, to place, to Pentecostal church, after Pentecostal church, after faith healing serve, after faith healing serve, trying to find one documented case. And after four years, he found zero. Zero. He never found one. And of course, it was always because he had a lack of faith. Well, what does that have to do with your medical records? Third, Jesus cured all those who were demon-possessed. I've done quite a bit of study on this, and we're going to talk about this more when we get into Luke 8 in the Gerizim demoniac. So we're going to really blow this out then. But just so you know, when it comes to demon possession, I have found people to be extremely gullible and not using a lot of discernment in this area. I've had people come into my office who think they're chucked full of demons, Christians, because somebody told them so and they believe it. Our text says at the end of Luke 6.18 that those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured. Anyone who was, de- who, who was demon-possessed was cured by Jesus. He had the power and authority to cast out demons with a word. He gave that power and authority to the apostles and a few of his disciples in the New Testament era. But he has not granted that gift to people in the church today. Guess how many verses in all the letters to the church in the New Testament speak about demon possession and how to do exorcism? Zero. Nada. Nippon. Yet. None. Not a single verse And you might say, well, why is that? Why is there no instruction to the churches at all on how to do demon possession? I mean, obviously, people are are still demon-possessed, aren't they? Well, 
I've had people ask me that a lot. Do you think people are demon-possessed? I say, yeah, I think it still happens. I think people can still be demon-possessed. I think there are demon-possessed people today, and I think I've encountered some of them. The other day, I was having lunch about two weeks ago. I was having lunch in the park with some in this congregation. And we were chatting and we were talking about the Lord and, you know, all those cool things it is about being a Christian. We're chatting and discussing. And right before we're getting ready to leave, he says to me, Jack, do you think people can be demon-possessed today? And I said, yeah. And right then, a lady not far from us starts screaming out in this shrill, angry, agitated voice, saying all kinds of stuff. And she was screaming at a tree. And so as this guy's talking to me, I'm saying, Lord, help that woman. And, you know, maybe you could bring somebody into her path that would share the gospel with her. And I can see she's really agitated and angry and not quite in her right mind. And this whole, you know, we're having this conversation. And so I say, okay, yeah, you know. And so then I explain to him what I'm going to explain to you right now. And um, so we get up to go and this lady just makes a beeline right for me. And I thought, oh. I guess I just answered in my own prayer. So she's coming for me and she, as she approaches, she begins to say, I have something to tell you. I have something to tell you. And so she gets closer and she finally is right up to me. I said, well, I have something to tell you too. And she stopped and said, what? I said, Jesus died for your sins. And if you repent and place your faith in Jesus Christ, he will deliver you from the consequence of your sins. And she, her eyes got as big as saucers and she said don't talk to me about jesus so you know what i did i talked to her about jesus i said do you know that god loves you and he is willing to save you from your sins and he is willing to rescue you from your problems if you repent and believe he died he took your sins upon himself shed his blood died on the cross was buried and rose again on the third day she goes i don't believe in the resurrection it's not scientific i said well that's exactly right it's not scientific it's supernatural she said don't talk to me about jesus i've got nazis they're after me i said nazis she goes yeah they're in my head they're they're telling me what to do they're controlling me and they make me do things i want and i want you to know that if i'm not here like tomorrow that they've got me And I said, hey, if you want to get rid of the Nazis, and I told her the gospel again. And she said, don't talk to me about Jesus. And so I talked to her more, and she put her hands over her ears and walked away. Now, is she demon-possessed? I don't know. I don't have a demon-possession scanner. But when you study the scriptures, this is what you learn. People who are demon-possessed appear to be crazy. Do you realize that? They appear to be crazy. And when we get to, for instance, the Gerizim demoniac, that when Jesus heals him, he is now clothed in his right mind, which means before that he was what? Out of his mind. And see, the world today, because it doesn't believe in demon possession, sees somebody like that and they say, well, you know, that person has, you know, a psychological disorders, bipolar, whatever, you know, schizophrenia. It may just be they're demon-possessed. Now, I think people are demon-possessed today, but never a true believer. 
And you need to know that if you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, you cannot be demon possessed. Now, you can be demon possessed if you think you're a believer and you're not. If you're deceived into being a believer, but you're not. But if you know Christ and you've been saved and you've been cleansed and you've been washed and you've been adopted in the family of God, purchased by the blood of Christ and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit dwell in you and greater is he that is in you than he is in the world, you cannot be demon possessed. Tempted? Yes. Possessed? No. Possession is when one or more demons enter into a person and take total control of a person from within. The question remains, though, what are we to do if we happen to count, encounter a demon-possessed person? I mean, what do you do? Well, here's the riddle. See if you can figure out the answer. What is the power to change something, somebody from a child of Satan to a child of God? What is the power to transform a person from a child of darkness into a child of light? What has the power to transfer a person from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved son? What causes us to be born again, adopt in the family of God, made into new creatures, delivered from the power of Satan, and sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption? Faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what you do. You, you find somebody who you think, you know, I think this person might be demon-possessed. Don't sit there and chat with the demon. The Bible never says to do that. Don't command the demon and bind him and order him. One of the characteristics of false teachers, according to Second Peter and Jude, is they revile angelic majesties. When you read in Jude, Michael the archangel, who's like the biggest heavy hitter, you know, angel in the angelic realm, it says, did not dare pronounce a reviling judgment against Satan, but just said, the Lord rebuke you. You know, if God wants to order you, fine. You need to remember that. So what do you do? You speak to the person about their sin and their cure, which is faith in Christ. You try and lead them to the Lord. So don't go binding and reviling and hunting down demons. You read different books and talks about all sorts of, you know, exorcism techniques and canned prayers and incantations and all sorts of weird stuff. And I have no doubt that these things may even produce results. You realize that, don't you? They may produce results. But remember, Satan is a deceiver. Satan is more than happy to give you results if he can deceive you. Right? Yeah. If he can get you to buy a lie, he'll give you results. He'll give you results. Let's say you develop a prayer and, you know, from different pieces of scripture and a little anointing prayer to create, you know, holy water, demon expunging holy water. And all of a sudden you encounter somebody who's demon possessed and Satan will probably make sure it happens since now you think you've got something. And so, you know, you throw the water on them and do the prayer and all of a sudden they're clothed in their right mind. And you're thinking, well, that's what the scriptures say. They must be healed. So you try it again and it works. And you try it again and it works. And then you tell a few other friends and they begin to try it and it works. And you begin hunting down demons and trying it and it works. And you go, this works great. And everybody's getting results. So you write a book on it. And it appears down the Christian bookstore and they're there right today. You can go down there and find books that follow this exact same scenario. And then a whole bunch of people 
are now trusting in something that has no power whatsoever. And they become purveyors of false doctrine. Why? Because they base their theology on experience rather than the word of God. And they become pawns of Satan. Sincere? Sure. But pawns of Satan nonetheless. Don't go there. Don't go there. Happens all the time. The Christian bookstores are full of this stuff. Listen, when Jesus was on earth, he cast Satan out with a word. So did the apostles. For us, we are told to preach the gospel, which is God's power to deliver those held captive by Satan to do his will and change them into children of light, children of God, sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. The gospel is God's power to rescue sinners from Satan today. Four, Jesus healed everyone, even those who touched him. Look at the end of verse, or look at verse 19. And all the people, it says, were trying to touch him, for power was coming from him and healing them all. Notice people here only had to touch Jesus. They just, he was just like radiating healing vibes. They were just, you know, getting, and you're thinking, well, Every, they were all getting healed. Yeah, listen to Matthew 4, 23 and 24. It says, Jesus was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria. They brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them all. Matthew 8.16 says Jesus it says of Jesus they brought to him a man who was demon possessed he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were ill and Matthew 9.35 it says Jesus was preaching the gospel and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness and Matthew 12.5 says the same thing we see the same thing happening with the apostles in the early church in Acts 5, 12 through 16, where it says, at the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on the cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Also, the people from the cities of the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. That people is the real thing. The real thing. So what do you need to come away with today? Well, this sermon is kind of a beware, be warned sermon. So be warned, be aware of supposed healings that happen in controlled environments. That doesn't match up with the scriptures. People are manipulated in controlled environments. Secondly, beware of those who say they have the gift of healing, but can't heal all manner of disease and sickness permanently and verifiably. Third, remember sign gifts were given for a purpose to select individuals. For a specific time and a certain geographical location while revelation was being given. Four, beware of those who claim to be able to cast out demons. We do not have that authority. The letters to the churches never give us that authority. Instead, they give us the authority to preach the gospel and say that is the power of God to deliver people. Five, remember that our enemy is smart 
He is a deceptive supernatural being. And our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they're divinely powerful. The gospel for the destruction of his deceptions. And we should all apply Paul's instruction to us in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 21, but examine everything carefully and hold fast to that which is good. Even if a miracle happens, you examine it carefully, compare it to the scriptures, and if it does not fit, it's not of God. The Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures. The Holy Spirit is the one who does biblical miraculous gifts. And so the Holy Spirit is never going to operate in contradiction to the word of God. And so make sure you don't get swept away because as time continues and as we every day head towards the second coming and the tribulation, what will happen is there will be more and more of these things happening and they're going to appear to be good. But remember what Jesus said, that they will be so convincing that they will deceive even the elect if it were possible. And don't let it happen to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for what we learned this morning from Jesus' healing ministry. And Father, I just pray that all of us would have great discernment, especially as there are so many today claiming to have sign gifts and claiming to do miracles and people on TV and stories upon stories abounding of people in different places in different countries having gifts and doing miracles. Father, we all want to see it happen. We know you can do it. And we want to see people come to know you and want to see churches planted. Father, we don't want to be deceived. And Father, we know that the Spirit always works in concert with your word So as we leave here today, may we not be deceived, may we not be deluded, may we take every thought captive to obedience to Christ and hold everything up to the word of God, examining everything carefully, holding on to that which is good. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. If you are a visitor with us.